Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Our mission at the Handyman Success Podcast is to teach and inspire by shining a spotlight on local successful home improvement businesses. So today um, we are joined with an awesome, awesome person. This is Mike Kleisch from Dane County Handyman. And like always, I am your co-host, Alan Lee, joined with my other co-host, Jason Call. Super excited to have you here, but we are going to go ahead and hop into today's episode and hear a little bit about Mike's story and see how he can help us and what kind of information he has for us today. So Mike, maybe you just want to go ahead and give us kind of the lay of the land of where you're at today, what your handyman business looks like today. Well, right now we've got six of us total, and then we got a couple of guys that we subcontract with. So, I mean... We're kind of a three-facet business. We got rental properties. We've got a property management or property maintenance company. And then we have the Dane County handyman business. So, and I have a partner and Jeff deals with the rental properties. I deal with the Dane County handyman stuff. And then between the two of us, we have a property maintenance company. And that was kind of there in the beginning. I came along later on to join Jeff because my story is I had a job like everyone else. My hours were getting cut and they were kind of dinking around with the budgets and we're going to put me at full time and then pull me back in the winter time. And it's like, I had no guaranteed hours. And I'm kind of like, well, if I'm going to have no guaranteed hours, I'll just work for myself. You know? and, and I've been down that road before I did construction remodeling before, but I didn't want to be that big again. So I decided I was going to start the handyman business, talk to my wife about it. We had money and savings and in a pretty good position financially. But I had a six-month timeline. <laughs> so it was kind of mm-hmm. like, if I couldn't make this thing go after six months, I had to get another job. Uh, it was kind of her concession to the whole thing. So I was started looking for a van. And I ran across Jeff one day. And he's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm starting a handyman business. And he's like, wait, what? So I thought you were working such and such. I was like, yeah, but they're cutting my hours back and stuff like that. And he's like, well, you want to go in together? And I'm like, well, what do you have in mind? He's like, well, we'll go 50-50 on the handyman business and, you know, you can take care of our properties and you can help run the maintenance company. And I'm like, okay. Huh. So I was like, sounds good to me. So he threw money in it. I bought the van and Dane County Handyman started up and I never had to dip into my savings. We're cash positive from day one. Now, part of that is because we had some established companies, like a couple of buildings that he was taking care of with his maintenance company. And that was a fiasco. I mean, I came in, I saw the guys he had working and it was a disaster. And we, I had to move everyone out of that company. So I basically took that over, ran that by myself for about a year. And then I was just getting stretched too thin. So then we had to hire people, interview people and build up a new team. And now all the people that were there are gone. So it's all new people now. And the way it works is I handle all the new clients that come in through Dane County Handyman. That's pretty much like everybody else in the group. You know, we advertise not a lot as as much as we used to, but anybody new, like homeowners and stuff like that, those are all Dane County Handyman jobs. Um, Newer buildings, we're kind of transitioning over to Dane County Handyman and we're kind of thinking about closing up the maintenance property business. And then... um, like current customers in the maintenance property, we just do routine maintenance for them. Any bigger projects get funneled through the Dane County Handyman. So the handyman will take on the bigger projects, the remodels, uh, you know, painting the building. We'll sub out to our painter. We have like, like I said, we have 1099 guys. So they'll do over like our turnover stuff on apartments where we have a lot of painting because I hate painting. My guys hate painting, but the one guy does it. <clears throat> it's kind of what he does. It's what he likes. He enjoys it. And he hasn't let us down yet. And we just give him a timeline, tell him, hey, when can you get here to paint these units? He tells us what week he can get there. He knows it has to be by the 15th. It has to be done and turned over. So we don't control his schedule. We don't tell him how to do his work. We just tell him, here's the building. When can you get there? So, and then, you know, we just 1099 him at the end of the year. So, so right now we're pretty much... 80 percent i think of our work is referrals you know we get very little new calls coming in and we've got a bunch of sororities we take care of and we have a bunch of landlords that 
we take care of their properties and that pretty much keeps us packed right there. Now we're at the point of looking for another guy. Uh, Mike, what what would you say like the distribution between, you know, the rental maintenance, the property maintenance um, and the handyman is like across the board. And then also um, as far as the maintenance goes, that largely commercial. Yeah, the maintenance would be like our landlords that have two units or larger buildings. And they're that one's a hard one to answer because usually we're going into like the sororities and a lot of our landlords have properties downtown for student housing. So we get a lot of work in like December when the UW system goes on winter break. We do a pile of work for that month. We we have everybody that's available working because we got turnovers going on, we've got repairs going on, we've got upgrades going on. And then the same thing when summer hits, July and August were slammed because now it's everyone's moving out for summer. And college life is really weird. Like people don't stay at the same building. For, like they want to go somewhere new every six months or a year. Like no one ever, I don't think we've ever had one person stay in a building for their entire, entire college career. <laughs> it's like six months and then it's like they move out. You know, it's, it's rare. You put everything them. in the trunk of their car and go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it's something like that. I, you know, and they never say it's because they didn't like the building they're in. It's like it's just the lifestyle, I guess. Like you go somewhere new every year. Um, so I'd say DCH, Dane County Handyman, probably is about eighty percent of our work. And then the property maintenance is probably about fifteen, and our own properties are about five. Uh, it's a really sweet deal for Jeff because he doesn't pay our rates for Dane County Handyman. He just pays our wage rate. So he gets repairs done dirt cheap on his own properties, but it benefits us because, you know, we're benefiting from the employment of those properties. So it's when we're slow, we get fill and work off of it and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. gotcha. that's awesome. So, so what what year did you actually start this business? Just I just kind of want to break down that startup story here. What year was that? 2015. 2015. Okay. And then and then can you tell me a little bit more about this like six month timeline that you and your wife came up with? Like what did that look like? And and how long into that six months did you meet Jeff or talk to Jeff about this? Well, I would say August was when I talked to her about going on her own. And, you know, she is real hesitant about it because, you know, she enjoyed the guaranteed paycheck, the health insurance, the benefits, you know, all that comes with, you know, a decent job. And September, we kind of got more serious about it. I started to look for a van. And then I was like, well, what's the issue? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why why don't you want me to do this? And she's like, well, I don't know if it's going to work. Like, you know, I I don't want to three months later, six months later, we're out of savings. We're, we're out of money and stuff like that. And I'm like, right. well, financially right now, you know, we could last, you know, this is going bare bone. No, no going out to eat, no going to movie theater, you know, yeah. you, buy, you know, ramen noodles and black beans to eat or something like that. So, but we figured we could last a year off our savings, you know, and then so we decide, okay, at six months, if I'm not producing enough cash to supplement or to support the family, I'd get a job. And then the idea was I'd have another six months to find a job. So, and then beginning of October is when I ran across Jeff and told him like, hey, I'm looking at buying a van. I think I might've actually already bought the van at that time. It was a used one. I saw it and I just went and bought it. And then he's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm going to go on my own and talk to my wife while she's on board with it. And he's like, well, won't we team up? Well, like I said earlier, we'll go 50-50 on the business. And anything that I need done, you know, I'll just have you go do it and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds pretty good because I kind of get a guaranteed income. And then we decided to run an ad in a, like a shopper stopper or advantage magazine. I don't know if that's a national thing, but, you know, it goes out to every house in Dane County, you know, and I don't remember the cost of it, but, you know, we had an ad printed up, we threw it in the shopper stopper, sent that out. And it's kind of like, talk about a little nerve wracking, you know, you're spending like 
oh, I want to say it was like two grand or something like that to run mm -hmm. that ad. And you're kind of like, you don't know what you're going to get for results or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, I was doing, you know, hitting up like real estate agents, um, the hardware store, Home Depot. I was kind of talking to guys about, you know, you pass my name out and stuff like that. And the ad did real well. I mean, after the ad hit, we probably got 40, 50 calls the first week. Wow. Yeah. So, and I don't know if it was just good timing, you know, coming right out of summer, it's about to enter fall there in October. Um, so it, it exceeded our expectations. And I, like I said, that influx of customers kept me busy. I couldn't even touch our own properties. And they didn't need to be because, we, you know, Jeff had a guy already working for him. I was kind of doing his stuff. So I was busy from day one with DCH when we actually launched. You know, it's like I, I knew the first month I wouldn't have work because I, I knew I had to get my marketing out there. I knew I had to get my name out there. You know, you know, we ran the ad and I would say November 1st is when I think the ad kind of hit. So like that first week in November the cause just came flying in and I, and I was busy, you know, huh. and then those people started referring us to other people and just kind of snowballed effect from there. Huh. And then I was getting some, I ended up talking to a couple of real estate agents that turned out great for us. I know a lot of people hate real estate agents, but these two are great for us. You know, they, you know, they would refer work to us and it was always a house that are listing for sale. And it was like stuff they wanted fixed up to get the house on the market and ready for sale. So it wasn't anything contingent on home inspections. It wasn't, um, you know, using it to negotiate the price of the house to sell it. It was like, these are higher end homes. And, you know, and I purposely talked to agents that worked on the higher end, like, and I'd be in like our neighborhoods that have the more expensive homes. I'd notice who's listing the house for sale. Then I'd call that agent up and ask him, Hey, you know, do you need anything done on that house to get it? ready for sale and they're like hey it's kind of odd that you call it i do <laughs> you know? so so kind of like timing's everything yeah. so so it was a lot of it was just getting houses ready for market and then when i go in there i'd notice hey do you know this is wrong do you know this is wrong i think this would help if we fix this and and all of a sudden they're like hey this guy knows what he's doing hmm. and then it was like a couple months later the real estate agents would be telling the homeowner call mike do whatever he says <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> so it's like all my selling was done i didn't have you know let's just show up do the work send the invoice man that that's actually really good because i think um you know obviously you're a moderator of the handyman journey mastermind group so you know as well as i do that that one of the biggest questions that come up is pricing right and and hugely uh centered focused around like real estate agents or property management, like how do you get in with those people? Because oftentimes they want stuff done really cheap and right away, you know? So how do you, how do you go about doing that? But I think from what I heard you say is that you, you specifically target like real estate agents that are in more higher end neighborhoods. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, three quarter million, million plus homes is mm -hmm. the neighborhood that I was calling the agents. And I, I wasn't wasting the time with the houses around my neighborhood. You know, it's like, what's that old saying? You know, I can't afford to live in the neighborhood I work and I can't afford to work in the neighborhood I live. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you're always looking for one step above, you know, I, you know, I know I'm going to waste my time trying to market to a trailer park. You know, mm -hmm. you can see they need tons of work, but you know, they're not in a position. I, sh I shouldn't say that. They're probably not going to want to pay the rates to have the stuff fixed. Right. You, know, you do it for 20 bucks, I'd be happy to pay it. You tell them a hundred dollars and like, nah, I'm okay with the way it looks. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and with high-end homes, I know, you know, reading in the group, I, I've never had the experience of the cheap, rich people, like mm -hmm. the rich people like that I dealt with, they know I'm going to spend a thousand bucks on this house, but it's going to sell it faster. And it's going to sell for more than what I'm spending a thousand dollars on. It's it ROI. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, they know they got a crappy doorknob on the front door. As soon as someone grabs it, it's a little shaky. You're killing the sale on the house. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's the first thing people touch is the doorknob and it's a loose. It's like, you're already kind of, you know, first impressions, you know, people mm -hmm. are like, wow, this is wrong. What else is wrong in the house? You know? So, so, it's, so I never had that experience with cheap, rich people, <laughs> you know, and, 
you know, it's just kind of weird when I hear people say, oh, they don't want to spend any money. That's why they're rich. They don't spend money. And it's like, yeah, the rich people I've dealt with spend money because they know they're getting a return on it. Hmm. You know, so, so I mean, that's, that's a great point, though, about uh, like Alan recapped, um, <clears throat> looking up homes, you know, that are, you know, three quarter million dollar plus family market, like, you know, the upper tier, like nicer homes and seeing who's listing those properties. Um, like as far as, you know, connecting with realtors, property managers, because a common, you know, thing that Alan mentioned that you see on the groups is like, oh, don't waste your time with realtors, property managers. They're super cheap and they want things done yesterday, but they're just like a homeowner where, you know, probably most homeowners are not going to pay a premium rate for a premium service home repair, but there is a percentage that it's in the minority of realtors, property managers. So um, anyway, I've never heard that strategy before. And I think it's, really brilliant to be able to pull up, you know, find one of these people that are listing a lot of nice homes and then just reaching out to them, even putting all their listings in an email. I mean, like, do you need it? I saw that you list all these homes. Do you need help um, with like repair and improvements? So just a really high touch involved way to connect with the uh, upper like realtor selling nice homes, which ideally would probably have your ideal clients in there. So anyway, just kind of wanted to more extrapolate that for our listeners is I think that's a really great cold outreach strategy for anyone that's kind of struggling to find good realtor connections or, you know, just looking for another marketing channel. Um, that's a really great tactic. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know some guys, they kind of come back and say, well, yeah, you have to foot up because you, you already had work lined up when you started your business. And it's not really true because I made the decision to start the business before I knew Jeff was going to partner with me. Like I was already going in, I was already going to spend this money to advertise. I was already going to make all these contacts. In reality, all that stuff happened. I, I got those, you know, influx of calls right away. I mean, it's like I didn't have to rely on Jeff at all for any work. So it's kind of like I still started the business on my own. I think what helped me was I knew I had a fallback. Like mm-hmm. if I didn't get this job, I could do stuff for Jeff. Yeah. And, I, and I think when you sound desperate for work, it hurts your chances of getting the job versus I kind of came in. I'm kind of like, well, this is what it's going to cost. You know, call me if you want to do it. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like a nonchalant, like, I don't care if I get it or not. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm not like, Oh, please give me this job. I'll do a great job for you. And blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's just like, come in, I just tell them, well, this is what I think you need to do. This is what's going to cost to do it. If you have any questions, let me know. And they're like, okay, sounds great. And then, you know, sometimes before I get back to the office or the next day, I'm getting a phone call saying, when can you schedule us? I'm like, okay, yeah. like next week, you know, stuff like that. So, and a lot of what we do is service work. I, I, I didn't want to get big again. And as I say this, I got like five big projects coming up, but you know, it's, it's kind of like, I wanted to do small stuff, repetitive stuff. And that's why I like the maintenance business is because it's, it's repetitive work. And that's where I wanted to position the company. I, it's like, Doing basement remodels are great, but once you're done with the basement, what do you do? You got to find another basement to remodel versus with the property maintenance and the ongoing maintenance with the landlords. It's like toilets are always breaking. Shower heads are always getting like our buildings have a lot of old galvanized pipes. So the water pressure constantly drops and you got to go out and clean the shower heads. So there's a lot of repetition, a lot of the same stuff every day, but it's, it's, it's huge cash flow for us because mm-hmm. We're not worried about finding the next client. We're not worried about finding new clients. It's like we're just doing repetitive work. And then those landlords slowly refer us to other landlords. And it, it's kind of funny because it's kind of like some people don't want to refer you because they want to keep you to themselves. Like I got one landlord, like he doesn't want to share us because he's afraid he won't get us there when he needs us there. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like, you know, it's people are used to us calling up and like, hey, the toilet's overflowing or it's not flushing when can you get there it's like well we can get there today you know and, and that's the advantage when you hire guys is you can do that like i can stay on a job working in a basement remodel and then i can send Stefan to go look at the toilet or he can stay behind work and i go look at the toilet so we can respond and that was kind of one of the reasons we hired employees and it's just so we get to places quicker and faster and yeah. but so we're trying to kind of get away from constant new clients and kind of work on recurring work so you know we're actually kicking around a like a home maintenance program for homeowners to kind of get them on a monthly subscription where you know they'll call us up if they need something done and we're ironing out the details on that it, it might be a 
set rate per month. And we don't care if they cost one time or five times that month. We're just going to go out there and do it. And, you know, we'll have some stuff in there like changing furnace filters or filling their salt bin up on the water softener as part of that maintenance package. So it's something we're checking into. I don't know if we're 100% sold on it, but we kind of looked at all the jobs we've been doing for the buildings we've been taking care of. And we're kind of figuring out what's the average that they're paying each month for us to be there. And then we're just, once we figure out what that average is, we might just say, hey, you're going to pay X number a month. Doorknobs loose. You call us up, we take care of it. It's free. You know, toilets overflowing. That's free. You know, and their benefit is they're not going to go three, four months. And then I'll say I have like a thousand dollar bill. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll pay whatever, a couple hundred bucks a month. And it won't matter if they have 10 jobs this month or one job this month or no jobs this month. They just pay that fee. So, so that's something we're exploring right now. Hmm. Yeah. There's, I, I talked to a lot of businesses that are offering that or, or doing that. And I, I will say as far as like, you know, base offering, you know, looking at, depending on your market, like, you know, I mentioned water softeners, you know, gutters, dryer vents, all the normal stuff that has to happen in a home throughout a year and pricing based around that. And then as far as like the extra service work, um, a lot of them either bake in like an hour or two of labor every quarter or they offer like a, you know, slightly discounted labor rate from their normal or priority. So if someone is on their maintenance program and they call, they will prioritize that work. So rather than getting to the end of the line, you know, they kind of get served within like 48 hours, 72 hours, something like that. Um, right. So anyway, it's definitely a market that I think a lot of handyman business are trying to figure out like, you know, how can we emulate like HVAC companies? That's a huge cash flow uh, positive for like HVAC is they've got all these maintenance program customers where they right. do, you know, the biannual kind of check-ins where who knows? I mean, I've heard that they hardly do anything, but, you know, <laughs> it's the handyman industry kind of apply that to homeowners. Um, but uh, like this kind of segues into a question I had when you're uh, describing the, you know, the maintenance side of the business, when you came in, it had some major issues and it wasn't working right. So um, do you mind kind of um, kind of explaining your guys's maintenance program? Like what was wrong? Uh, was it largely labor? Like how'd you guys fix it? And kind of just fleshing out that maintenance side. Cause I know a lot of our listeners, they're really interested in offering a maintenance program. And so kind of just, you know, why did it, why was it not working and what do you guys do now to make it work? Well, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I don't want to bad talk people, but we had a couple of people that just shouldn't have been doing maintenance. Like, you know, you'd send them to caulk a bathtub and there'd be caulk everywhere except where the caulk was supposed to go. I mean, it was unbelievable. Some of these jobs and, <laughs> and then I would have to go in and spend a couple hours cleaning it, you know, and I don't know if you have guys ever dealt with caulking, but once you get it everywhere and it dries on, it just doesn't peel right off. I mean, <laughs> you got to scrub it, you get it cleaned up and, and I'd spend a couple hours fixing the job they did so it's kind of like he was paying them to do the work and then he was paying me to go in to fix the work they did Hmm. so there's absolutely zero money coming in you know it was like hemorrhaging money so it's kind of like and then he's reaching for bodies you know he needed someone to get there to fix something and that's what he had so it's like okay i'll send bob over there to take care of it and then the next day or the later that night, the tenant would call and say, Hey, this isn't like, right. You know, it's, it's like, what's going on. And then Jeff would call me. This is before I worked with him. He'd call me up and say, got any ideas on this? And I'd be like, yeah, fire Bob. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, it's like, well, can you do it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I can run over there this weekend and take care of it kind of stuff. So, and I, I've known Jeff since we're kids, you know, so I should maybe explain that part of it too. I mean, Jeff and I are childhood friends for, wow, I don't want to date myself, but 40 plus years. <laughs> so, you know, so I know him well. I, I trust him. You know, we argue like an old couple, you know, it's like we're going to have a heated fight and then the next day all is good. But anyway, so as far as the maintenance company, he just, he didn't have the proper people in place. He wasn't charging anywhere near enough. Like, and I tell him, you got to raise your rates. He's like, well, if I raise your rate, I'm going to lose my customers. And I'm like, <laughs> but you're not making money. You're, you're losing money. Like, you know, this is seven years ago or something like that. I think he was charging like 40 bucks an hour to send, we'll call him Bob. It's like 40 bucks an hour. 
but he did crazy stuff. Like he would send him there. He'd work for like a half hour. We'll get up to build a company, 20 bucks. Like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I, we charge 40 an hour. He's only there half hour. So I'm only charging 20 bucks. And I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> it's like, you're just killing yourself. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, it doesn't matter to me. Cause you know, I got to pay him either way. And this is like offsetting his income. And I'm like, yeah, but you're literally paying those people to send Bob there to work. Like you're paying more than you're making. I mean, you know, it didn't make so. So I had to establish minimums, you know, and, and we, we still fight that to this day. You know, he's like, well, we can't go that high. We can't go that high. We're going to lose customers. And it's like, we can go that high. It's like, I'm already billing customers with ECH at the price. They're paying it without blinking an eye. So our maintenance company should be charging more and, and we're getting there. But yep. so he was under, he was undercharging. He didn't have the right guys in place and he didn't have any systems. I mean, a, a call would come in, he would take the call. He would try to figure out how he's going to get it taken care of. He would call whoever he had available. And sometimes that would involve calling our painter, our 1099 guy. He'd call him up and say, Hey, can you go over and fix the toilet? And he's like, I'm not a plumber. I'm a painter. It's like, well, can you go look at it? <laughs> so, so we had, you know, again, we'd have guys that didn't know what they were doing to go look at stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he's a likable guy. We still have all the same clients and, you know, and, Part of it is probably because we were super cheap, so they didn't mind if something got done a little bit wrong because they were only paying 20 bucks. So mm-hmm. you know, disadvantages, advantages, I guess. But so yeah, so once I took over, I you know, I just said I, I can't work with Bob. It was just I'm sorry to say it, but he just does not have the skills. I don't think he has a desire to want to learn, and he does not want to listen to me because he had a chip on his shoulder that well, I was here before him. Like, so why am I listening to him? You know, and it's kind of like, well, because I, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. It's like, this is how we're supposed to do it. This is the way we're going to do it. And, you know, and then his attitude just went south in a hurry. But yeah. So, yeah. So I'd say the, the key contributors was just lack of management. You know, it's like we can blame everything around us, but ultimately it comes down to the person running it. Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff was undercharging and, had the wrong guys in the wrong spots and you know so i came along and you know we had to change everything and then we hired better people and charge more and things are running smooth yeah that that's good that's good and i think you uh you highlighted on something that is very important is one of the <clears throat> one of the issues with people in pricing is just really a mentality issue, right? A lot of people think yeah. I can't charge more because people won't, you know, I won't be busy anymore or people won't hire me. But it's funny when you actually start charging more, people start respecting you more and you start actually attracting better clients. So it's it's kind of one of those things you just gotta shift your mindset to yeah. to know that that raising your prices and charging what you need to charge to actually make money is not only good for you, but it'll be good for your clients as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 He had a hard time with that one. Like he yeah. was, he had had a hard time raising those rates. So, <laughs> Cause he's like, well, what are you going to charge for DCH? And I was like, I don't know, probably like seven years ago. I was like 80 bucks. He's like 80 bucks. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, that's what I, it's what I need to charge to make it worthwhile. Otherwise there's no yep. point in doing it. Yep. So. Definitely. I, I think that is so important. Like I tell people all the time, you have to know what it costs you to be in business because if you don't know what it costs you to be in business, you might be losing money each day and you need to actually be making money at the end of the day. And the only way to know that is to find out what exactly it costs you to be in business or else you you might as well just pay people to go do work at their house, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and the other thing I told him was like, you know, we got to charge more too, because when we do stuff wrong, we're fixing it for free. Right. So and if you're charging too little to begin with, you can only last so long before you sink you know it's like mm-hmm. you're just not making enough money to compensate for anything that goes bad or delays or broken materials you know it's i i i never put the customer in the spot you know like if a ceiling if i don't really care who buys the ceiling fan if the ceiling fan is bought by the homeowner and we open it up and find out it's broken i don't tag the homeowner say well it's 150 bucks let me know when you get a new one i'll come back and charge you another 150 bucks to put it in you know, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's broken. What do you want to do? You want to take it back or you want us to go get a new one? And if we go get a new one, we'll charge you, you know, we'll 
drive it back to the store and get one. Most of the time, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. They're like, just take it back. I don't want to deal with them. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. go get a new one, bring it back, put it in. You know, and then sometimes they'll be like, well, I'll get a new one. And it's like, okay, just call us back when you have it and we'll come back out and redo it. Or we'll install it and not redo it because we're broken, but you'll install it. And and I know a lot of guys like, well, you'll go broke. And it's like, no, we're not going to go broke because we're charging enough to offset those times. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, we lost out our minimum fee that day. But, you know, when they hire us the next time, we're going to make that minimum fee, which actually kind of offset the t- first time we were there. You know, we'll break even on it. But we have a happy client that's going to hire us again. And they know they're not going to nickel and dime them to death. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, you know, it's like mistakes you know, are inevitable, up. you know. And so, whenever you're run operating profitably, when something goes wrong, you know, you, you, you of course you're financially kind of losing to correct it, but nonetheless, you're operating profitably and can kind of happily show up and fix it and apologize, uh, you know, because right. things like that happen. But when you're kind of you know doing that twenty bucks or half an hour, and then something goes wrong, like <laughs> a, you know, you cannot do that for a very long time before your bank account is going to really start showing the signs to you, like this is not right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we've opened toilets up and found crack tanks and stuff like that, and you know, and it's it, we do charge a markup on materials that off that sets that as well. So. I know a couple of guys have high, high labor rates because they don't mark up their materials. We kind of went the opposite direction. We have a little bit lower rate on labor when we mark up on materials. Mm-hmm. And we do that because, you know, you can buy a $90 toilet, you buy a $3,000 toilet. Well, I'm not going to charge a little bit higher rate and install the same toilets. Like if you're getting a $90 toilet, we're going to charge you, I'll call it a hundred bucks. We'll charge you 150. If you get a $3,000 toilet, we're charging you 4,500. Mm-hmm. We hope we don't break that three thousand dollar toilet when we install it, but right. if something were to happen, we're, we're offsetting that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And same thing, if you know, if we open that box up and find it's broken, now we got to send it back. They got so that's why the markup on materials helps offset all that as well. So, mm-hmm. and it's just the more expensive things get, the more liability you have. So. I didn't like being in a position of I'm always going to make a hundred bucks an hour, regardless of what happens. Right. And I'm going to make a hundred bucks if I'm installing that hundred dollar toilet. And I'm going to make a hundred bucks if I'm installing a $3,000 toilet. Didn't make sense to me. You know, and I know some guys will be like, well, you charge 300 bucks, you know, you have a high labor rate. Oh yeah. 300 bucks. If I break the $90 toilet and eh, a big deal, but 300 bucks and I break the $3,000 toilet. I have an issue. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I know some guys don't like the markup materials. I feel it's like evil in a way. I, I don't know. It's like everywhere you go, everywhere you buy, everyone's marking up material. You know, I go to Home Depot. They're not selling it to me for what they bought it for. You know, they they have a markup on their material. You know, like you can argue, well, the retailers, that's how they make their money. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I'm kind of a retailer, too, because I'm installing the toilet and I'm giving you my services. You know, the difference is Home Depot is just selling you a product. I'm selling you a service along with a product. So, mm-hmm. You know, and we we do buy cheaper. Like, you know, we'll buy through a plumbing house. So we won't pay, like, the same price that you'd pay at Home Depot. So we'll buy our toilets cheaper. We put a markup on it. Sometimes it's a little bit more than what Home Depot charges the client. Sometimes it's break even. Kind of depends on the supply house and how often you buy. That's good. That's good. So if if you could go back to like maybe that first year in business, like what would you say something that worked well in your business for that first year? And what's something that didn't work well that you would have done differently if you could go back to that point? Um, I would say I have more belief in the marketing. Hmm. You know, you know, like I you know, I, I think I had pricing right from the beginning because I, I had the thought of it's going to be just as hard to sell for 40 bucks an hour than it is $80 an hour. I'm I'm going to have to do the same effort, you know, marketing, you know, it's just, and to me, I just saw it's just as hard. Like, you know, like, so I didn't have a problem with the pricing, but I think I didn't trust the marketing as much in the beginning. Like I was nervous when I was running the ads that what if, what if this doesn't work? What if this isn't going to happen? What if I don't get a call off of it? And it's, it's kind of like have more faith in it and, 
and done more of it. Ironically, I think I should have done more marketing in the beginning as well. You know, I, I think I lucked out when I ran that shopper stopper ad and it just, you know, the domino effect on the phone calls. That's kind of like, great, I'm done. I don't have to do any more marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's kind of like, had I not gotten good referrals, I might've been hurting three months later because I, I wasn't doing follow-up marketing. It was kind of like, well, I, I did the ad, I got a good response and I didn't do any other marketing. So I, I would have probably done more in the beginning. And the other thing I did is I do a lot of different things in my marketing. Uh, I'm the, I don't know one good way to get 40 customers for you, but I know 40 ways to get one customer for you. So I, I, I do a lot of like, you know, calling real estate agents, talking to the hardware store, talking to sales guys. Like when I go to Home Depot and I see a salesperson kind of struggling to get something, I offer to help them. Like, hey, you need help with that? You know, like I'll help you lower it down or whatever. So it's kind of like try to build rapport with people. And mm-hmm. then it's like, and that kind of pays me back because I think, you know, they'll remember, hey, a guy from Dane County Haneman helped me pull the box off the shelf or something like that. And then, you know, they refer me because, you know, I get a couple of calls here and there like, I got your name from Home Depot. And it's like, okay, I'm not signed up for their pro referral program or anything. I just, you know, so it's one of their, uh, well, I don't know what they call their store employees. One of their employees must have told them about me and got my name from them and stuff like that. So, you know, and like, kind of like the six foot rule. I don't do it as much as not, I did back then. It's like, you know, the six foot rule, you talk to everybody within six feet about what you do. Hmm. You know, like I used to do a lot of that, you know, I'd be talking to strangers somewhere. I'd be like, oh, Hey, you know, if you ever need anything done around your house, you know, give me a call. Here's my card. You know, it's like, I don't know. I probably pass out like a thousand cards in the first year or something like that. So um, what would I do differently? I think probably brought on employer employees a lot sooner, hmm. you know, cause you know, it, it's with employees, you, you're worried about giving them enough work, you know, like, I, I don't want to be a guy to hire someone. And then two weeks later, I got to let you go. I don't have enough work for you. Like, you know, I, I didn't ever want to do that. And I, I didn't want to be a slave ship employer as either. Like it's get bent, you know, they get sick time to get holiday paid. You know, we treat them really well, you know, and we know there's family, you know, it's like someone calls up and Hey, I'm not gonna make it in. My daughter's sick. It's like, fine. You know, it's like, we'll see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't do the, you got to get in here. I got all these calls I got to get to. I got all these appointments scheduled. And and it, I don't want to speak for the group, but I kind of sometimes I wonder if that's what guys in a group, like they don't want employees because they don't want to deal with that drama. And mm-hmm. I get it. You know, some people don't want to deal with it, but I don't think they realize that life gets in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, people have families, people have lives. You know, this business isn't their business. It's my business. You know, they're never going to care for it as much as I'm going to care for it. But I also know that my business can't strive and grow without employees. So like, it's kind of like I have to take care of employees to make sure that, you know, I, I can grow. And and I've noticed with doing that with employees, no one ever complains like, hey, I need you for a couple extra hours on Friday. They're like, OK, you know, they remembered like, you know, they got paid sick time on Monday or, you know, they didn't have any flack when they didn't show up or something like that. Same thing, like when a guy shows up late, you know, I always tell guys. You're gonna be late, just call. Mm-hmm. Just call me up and say, Hey, I'm running 20 minutes late. Fine, I can deal with that. But I what I don't like is like when you're supposed to be at a client's house at nine and they're calling me at 9 30 saying, Hey, where's Bob? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I like I don't like that position. You know, like I can call a client and say, Bob's running 20 minutes, half hour late. They're always okay with it because it's communication. You know, it's like it's when you don't communicate with them that they get mad. So so yeah, I would say I'd have hired sooner. Um, trust the marketing more. Uh, probably the big changes I would have done in the beginning. Awesome. And, and you had said that you have six total people with you right now. Are those all technicians or do they have different roles in your business? Um, well, Jeff runs the rental side of it. So I don't know if you call him a technician. He does do service calls. Um, there's myself that's in the field. There's Stefan in the field. There's our bookkeeper. Um, Dwayne and other tech, and then Santhia is kind of like does rental agreements and kind of like our human resource person as well. So okay. we got like three guys in the field. Jeff will go in the field. 
So that puts us four of us out there. Like Dane County Heaney is really just Stefan and I. Yeah. We, we pretty much handle all the new calls and all that. And then between Jeff, Dwayne, Stefan, myself, we do the maintenance, property maintenance company. And then Jeff and Santi kind of handle the rentals. And then Renee is like the bookkeeper for all of it. So, okay. So I seven? No, Jeff's, so yeah, that'd be six. So, so when now we do college kids coming in. That's good. That's good. So when, when new clients call you, you're the one who answers the phone and goes out and gives them an estimate, or is that someone else? Uh, for the most part, 90% of our calls probably dumped the voicemail. Okay. I, I know a lot of guys are going to hate this one. <laughs> They're like, answer your phone, answer your phone, answer your phone. I find that when I dump the voicemail, the ones that take the time to leave the message are more interested in doing the work. Hmm. If, if I get someone that calls me like three times in a row, like I don't answer and they call right back and don't answer, they're usually a big pain in the butt. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I, they're not going to be a good fit for us. Um, if I recognize the number, everything's still coming through my phone, my cell phone. It's like the office number. When you call it, it just says, thanks for calling Dane County Handyman. Please leave a message. Someone will get back to you as soon as possible. That's also my personal cell phone. But when people call that number, that's the message they get. And then they'll be like, yeah, I'm trying to get a hold of Stefan, or I'm trying to get a hold of Jeff, or I'm trying to get a hold of Mike or something like that. If I recognize the number, I answer it. You know, and, and usually it's because it's one of our properties has a problem. So I'll answer that call. If I don't answer, the, if I don't know the number, recognize it, it goes to voicemail. And then at that point, when I check the voicemail, if it's a bigger project, I'll schedule it for myself. If it's a service type call, I'll have Stefan call them back and he'll schedule his work. So we're trying to get Stefan trained as like a general manager. I don't think he knows that, but <laughs> so I'm kind of bleeding work to him that way. I'm trying to get him to kind of schedule and organize his own schedules. Cause up until now it's like, I was like scheduling everybody, you know, sending everybody out doing the follow-up on the work and, you know, answering mm-hmm. all their questions and stuff like that. Now I'm getting Stefan to call his clients back schedule his work and organize it. And then if there's something that becomes more involved, then he bounces it back to me. So sounds like you guys might be able to uh, benefit from like a a phone system where, you know, someone, you guys have extensions uh, and even too, like, you know, if you guys wanted to grow more um, you know, a lot of times when people ask me like, well, how can I get more like jobs on the calendar? It's like, well, are you answering your phone? Uh, Sometimes. Because when you're phone, obviously, you know, every business is different. You guys are all rocking and rolling and happy with your lead flow. But um, hiring even like a virtual phone answering service for a couple hundred bucks a month, 300 bucks, and then they can take notes for what the person's calling about, get it to the right people. Uh, that's a that's certainly a growth. Like if you guys were looking for more marketing, I would say get, get the phones uh, like figured out. And that would certainly bring a bring a boost to the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, and like I said, I knew I was going to hear about it. <laughs> Answer your phone. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the beauty, though. If everyone's in yeah. their own, uh, you know, they've got their business and and how it works, how it operates, and how happy they are with the lead flow and jobs getting on the book. Right. Or, you know, if you guys are already booked out and really happy with how the business is going and aren't yet ready to kind of you know hire somebody and and up the volume, then that's right. where you guys are. And there's no nothing to be ashamed about that. You know. Yeah, uh, we're. We're at the point right now where if the phone were to stop ringing tomorrow, we have our big projects that will carry us through mid-fall, almost wintertime. Yeah. So, you know, and so we're, we're trying to hire. You know, we're, you know, we may go a 1099 route and bring in a crew to do our basements and decks. And that's what our big projects are, like kind of the remodels and decks. Yeah. Um, so we, we may go that route. We do have an answering service for our nighttime emergency calls because we do our emergencies for our property um, clients. So like we have one property that's, oh, I want to say around 200 units total. I think it's like six buildings, like 20 apartments per building. So yeah, it's not six, like 220 or whatever it is. So we do their after-hour service calls. They have three guys on their staff during the day just to maintain the property during the day. And then we do their after-hour calls. So we do have a call service that takes the calls at night. Mm -hmm. So we may eventually 
bring them on board to do our daytime phone and call answering. So, but like you said, we're kind of happy where we're at right now. <laughs> you know, we don't need a huge influx of work, but it's, it's something yeah. we've talked about. And like I said, we do have them for the nighttime calls. That really doesn't take a lot of our time. I and mean, we thought it was going to be a nightmare when we brought them on. And at first, you know, Jeff was handling all those night calls. Like, I think he just enjoyed it. Like talking to people in the middle of the night. I don't know. Jeff, why don't you let me take the phone? I'm like, no, no, I got it. I'm okay with it. And it's like, okay. You know, it's like, so he'd be answering. I would yeah. Hate yeah, I would do. You know, he'd uh, answer the calls at one in the morning for like the smoke detector chirping every 30 seconds. And he'd always tell them to, well, just unplug it from the ceiling, you know, and put it away and maintenance will take care of it in the morning. So, yeah. so in the phone service, they're, they're pretty decent. They kind of know the work a little bit. So they know when someone calls up and they have a toilet that's not flushing and there's another toilet in the unit, they know not to call us. You know, they can use the other toilet. It's not the only one they have. So, so they're kind of nice that way. So they kind of ask a couple of questions before they'll call us up to connect us to them for a true emergency. Like, you know, 30 below outside and they don't have heat in their unit. Yeah, we're going to get out there for it. But smoke detector chirping on the ceiling, that can wait till tomorrow morning. Yeah, you might not sleep, but, you know, it's, it's not an emergency per se. So they're pretty good about it. But, and part of that, I think... I think why Jeff's doing this because I think he's hoping to take over the property management because that the owner, well, the guy that owns the management company that's taking care of that property is in his seventies and Jeff's kind of starting to poke his nose in there that, you know, if this guy retires, he's going to try to get our company in there. Yeah. Uh, Mike, are you, are you still with us, man? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Cut out there for a second. We're we're about to wrap things up here, man. Um, the last thing that we question for you is, um, you know, if you had any kind of uh, parting advice to um, our listeners that are either new in their business or they're just starting out and getting things figured out, um, if you have kind of a parting piece of advice, we have a lot of listeners that are new or they're just trying to plan everything out. Um, what what would you have to say to them? Yeah, I was kind of worried. Maybe I was kind of over talking the new guys getting into the field and stuff like that. Oh, you're um, good, man. It's been great. I I would say believe in yourself. You know, educate yourself, become confident in what you're doing. Uh when you walk in to talk to potential clients, you know, you need to be confident in what you're doing. You know, like if, if they ask you questions and you don't know an answer, just be straight up. Just like I'm gonna have to research that problem. I don't have an answer off the top of my head. Uh, but you know, you can't go in to a job. Like if you know you're being called to replace the ceiling fan and then you go in there and you're, it's like, you're kind of like never replaced the ceiling fan before. It's going to come across that way when you talk to them, like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I'm going to have to get a ladder. You know, it's like, you know, you just have to become confident and just say, yeah, I can replace that fan. No big deal. You know, it's not going to be a problem. You know, and even if you haven't done it before, just being confident in your abilities to do it. You know, it's like, you know, you replace a light fixture. It's just three wires, a ground wire, white wire, black wire. You know, just, you know, if you've never done it before, but you're confident in it, just, you know, just believe in yourself, you know, you know. And so, you know, educating yourself is huge. Um, looking for problems, like when, like upsell, like when someone calls you up and you go in, they want you to like fix a loose cabinet on the door. And, you know, it's walking through a bedroom or a door on the way to the kitchen or whatever, you know, it's the doorknobs loose. It's like, Hey, you want me to tighten those doorknobs up? You got any other doorknobs in the house that need tightened up? You know, you kind of want to upsell. Um, I don't know. The biggest tip I'm going to tell everyone is know your numbers. Mm-hmm. You got to know how to price. You, you know, you, you can't be coming off a job where you're making $20 an hour and think you're going to charge $40 an hour and you got the world by the butt. It, it, it's not going to happen because I guarantee you the company paying you $20 an hour is not making 40 bucks. They're, you know, they're not making 60. They're probably making $800 an hour or more if they're paying you 20 bucks. You know, it's, you know, they got benefits. And I think that's what a lot of people fail to see when they, when they price, they don't even, it's not the expenses. It's like, they don't realize they got to pay the employer share of taxes. They've got to pay for insurance. They've got to pay for, um, their days off, like 
I swear some of the guys in the group that talk about making three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. I I don't know if I buy it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. I just as a solo guy, you gotta be working 80 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to work 80 hours a week. Right. You know, I you know, all our guys are billed we figure about 75% billable hours. So 30 hours a week is what we figure we're gonna bill for our guys. And I'm like, why would I work harder in my own place? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, I do 30 hours a week in the field. The other 10 hours is estimates and bills and then probably another 10 hours grabbing crap for the guys to have the next day. So, you know, you, you got to get your pricing down and you got to figure it out on realistically, how many hours am I going to be able to work this week? I mean, maybe in my twenties, I could do 70, 80, 90 hour work, work weeks. Yeah, sure. Back then, but not now. <laughs> Plus, you know, I'm wiser. I have no desire to do it now. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, you know, it's like, you know, pricing's important, you know. Like I said, you know, you, you can't think you're making 20, now you're gonna make 40 and you got it made. You, you gotta sit down and what's it gonna cost to put your truck on the road? You know, it's like, you know, you know, what's it gonna cost to get insurance, you know, tool replacement, you know, like everyone has their own personal drill, probably had it for 10 years. Well, you're not using that thing every single day. You, know, you got to plan for stuff breaking down. Your truck's going to get more mileage. You know, like everyone, like I remember arguing with a guy, well, I got to pay for my truck anyway. If I had a job, I'm still buying a truck. I'm going to buy a truck anyway. So, yeah, I get that. But you're going to drive maybe 200 miles a week on your truck to go to, food, to and from work. You know, I'll put a thousand miles on my truck driving site to site. You know, it's like, there's a lot more wear and tear in the vehicle. Um, there's just a lot of costs that guys don't realize that they need to sit down and look at, you know, you know, same thing with, um, benefits. You don't have health insurance. What family plan when I last checked was $2,800 a month just for family health insurance. Now that's 30 grand a year. You're not going to make that on 20 bucks an hour. <laughs> that's, that's $15 an hour right there just to pay for a family health care plan. You know, and it's it's like stuff like retirement. Some jobs have retirement. They're not figuring that into their hourly rate. Mm-hmm. And that's just to live. You know, that's just your cost to you know provide for my family, to have health insurance, to have a retirement plan. That doesn't include the expenses of the business, profit for the business. You know, it, 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 pricing's huge. Mm-hmm. Man, that that's killer, Mike. Those are those are some words of wisdom right there. I love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for being on this episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. This was absolutely fantastic. Uh, thank you, Jason, my co-host. Um, and I guess I'll say thank you to myself, too. But <laughs> um, this has been fantastic. Thank you for all the listeners out there who have been listening. Uh, we appreciate you guys. We are here for you. So if you guys gleaned any information off of this, please reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to Jason at handymanmarketingpros.com. You can reach out to me at handymanjourney.com. Also, join our Facebook group, which is the Handyman Success Mastermind Group. We're going to make sure that we get Mike in that mastermind group. Uh, basically, we have all of the guests that have ever been on our podcast in that group. So if you have any questions for them, that would be the place to ask it. We would highly recommend that. And also, if you are listening to this podcast um, on any podcast listening place, Go ahead and share this podcast for someone else that might need it, might need to hear some of Mike's wisdom. That would be fantastic. And if you're watching us on YouTube, like this video and subscribe to this channel. It would mean a lot to us. So thank you guys so much. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Handyman Success Podcast. Bye, guys. Thanks a lot.